Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. Really, a ganze good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this morning or this night, this evening, wherever you are. Uh, in our Rampa Room moment, we see, anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Google Rampa Room, okay? That's all I'm telling you. And then you'll not only understand what I'm talking about, you'll have an idea, an inkling about just how old I am. So um, we're saying, hi, it's so late. It's after midnight and the United States is listening in. And of course, I looked down my list immediately to find Canada. Canada, you're in no way second to the U.S. Um, but friendly and listening in. It's so great. Boketover, it's Israel. I know... Oh my gosh, I hope your air conditioner is on. Air conditioner is on all around the world. The UK is listening in with us. The United Arab Emirates. Good morning and good morning to Germany. And anybody else listening in, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and say, hey, Ange, why don't you mention us? And I will remedy the situation. It is hot. Not a surprise. We all know we're all, it's just the news of the day. I mean, everything else can pass. So <laughs> we went on an annual family vacation and I'm embarrassed to tell you, I know that I sound like such a pleasant, amiable, go with the flow type person, not so much. And every year, my beloved husband takes a, takes a space at a beautiful site up north in Israel, and the name of this place is called Gane Huga, or the Huga Gardens. I don't know what Huga is. Don't quote me. I'd have to look it up. It is not far from Beit Sha'an. And anybody else listening from Israel says, Beit Sha'an, they're already wiping their foreheads. Yeah, it's like Beit Sha'an on steroids. The heat. You think north. You think, listen, cool evenings. I remember saying to my husband, should I bring a sweater for the nights? <laughs> I'm, I'm just recovering. We came back two days ago. I'm still sweating. It was, I kid you not, 45 degrees in the shade. That's Celsius. For those of you in the U.S., think between 109 and 111 degrees. And it's camping. So I never went because they rent a large yurt. You know what? We've discussed yurts. I think we talked about it in last week's show. It's like this tent. So even there, and the yurts there are air conditioned and they have a refrigerator. So it's really more like what they call glamping. Nevertheless, I never went because I particularly call me spoiled, call me pedantic. I don't really think it's fun to sleep in a yurt with my husband his daughter, his son-in-law, thank you, and seven little girls, everybody with makeup and hair and food. It's just, thank you, no thank you. So I kept thinking every year I'm going to go up, I'll go up for the day. I just don't want to be there. I love camping as much as the next guy. But this year they opened up a trailer park, a caravan trailer park. Well, good morning, Andrea. 
hooked up the caravan, the husband, and I had my own little motel room. And my kids were so excited. One of my children and her family came. A son of mine came. It was really a party. 45 degrees. If you, I walked out to take out the garbage from my caravan. I couldn't see because the eyeglasses steamed up. So what do you do there in 45 degrees? There, all there is to do there is swim. They have these natural water pools. I think they're kind of man-constructed, meaning that, wait, I'm tripping over wires here, um, meaning that they've been dug out and formed from the natural mountain springs that come down. And there's four or five beautiful freshwater, flowing water pools. Some are a little deeper, some are shallower, some have... Um, um, you know, children's slides in them, others. And they're so big that people are there on floats. They're there in little rowboats going around you. And there's room for everybody. And what a lovely crowd. They have a law. There's no dogs allowed, which was a little bit of a problem for us. We had to find boarding. My dog went to summer camp for three days. Um, but there's barbecuing at night and cookouting and people sitting around. And you're allowed to bring your own tent. Anybody who's insane enough to have a tent without air conditioning, they don't stay more than a night because you really can't bear it. And you're just in the water all day. So we had a lot of grandchildren there. I literally got up, walked out, and you wear a bathing suit and a cover-up the whole day. That's what you do. You go to bed wet. You wake up wet. You walk in wet. It's not for everybody. But I have to tell you, someone said to me recently, because I love to go camping, setting up the trailer is a very, very big deal. Emptying out the toilets without getting too graphic is a little bit of a big deal. It's not for everyone. But for me, three days outdoors, even in 45 degrees heat, I don't care. Just give me trees, give me the sun, and give me water, water, water. And you know, there were so many different kinds of people there. There were Arab Christians, Arab Muslims, Jews of all stripes, very few tourists to Israel. They don't really know about this place and probably the show has now destroyed the uh, destroyed it for them. But no, no English speakers just at all. There was nobody there. It was me representing the West. Um, and it was beautiful. They have a store. I have to tell you, it was wonderful. Coming back was very, very hard. The car overheated. But other than that, you are talking to a very, very energized Andrea. Three days out in nature, cooking, coffee, hiding in my caravan. Wonderful. Let's see. Okay, I'm watching the clock today. I have a confession to make. I really must confess. I got up late. I usually do this show. I get up at a certain time. I'm very relaxed. I jumped up and I said, oh, no. And if not for my friend, A.G., who knows who I am, who makes sure I'm going on, says, are you on in the morning? Um, and he, there are some veiled threats with that as well, I may tell you. So this time I said, gee, I owe it to A.G. I got to get up. I've got to do this. So there's a little bit of a manic. <sighs> I want to talk about something a little bit ugly. And then we will move on to fun stuff today. Remember, we are in the Elul period. It's all good. Blessings are falling upon us. And um, it's a good time. Nevertheless, I would be remiss 
if I didn't mention what is happening? Certainly all over America, I know about this, the anti-Semitic attacks, messages in people's mailboxes. But New York City is under siege, absolutely under siege, from beating and punching Jews in the face, on the subways and in the streets. And this week, I just want to focus on one story came across my desk. A 14-year-old was arrested for spraying two Jewish men with a fire extinguisher. I saw the pictures. I have a hard time watching the videos of this stuff. I can't. I just can't. But what killed me the most, what really sort of stunned me into silence, was his face. It was a child. A child so imbued with hate and self-righteousness, the correctness of it. I could not, I could not do the math. I could not reconcile the stupidity and the inherent evil of the crime with the face of a child. He was very, I've seen 14 year olds who kind of look a little bit hairy for their ages. A little, this was a kid, a kid who targeted two adults, adults, who were wearing traditional Hasidic clothing because he felt entitled. And you know, they have a hate crimes division in New York. I, I don't understand. If you have a hate crimes division and hate crime is going up 103%, what exactly is happening? And of course, we say there's a hole in the system, there's a rise in anti-Semitic attacks, has to do with bail reform. This is narish, narishkeit, stupidity. He learned it. You have to be taught to hate. Watch little children playing in the nursery school all colors, all levels of uh, abilities and dis. They don't see the differences. You have to teach it. It was mortifying. You know, my friend, Noor Dakhri, um, he's an Arab Muslim, a friend of mine on Facebook. And, you know, he writes, he says he was so ashamed to see how he had free access to any Jewish religious areas in the Kotel that he went. He was able to pray first at Al-Aqsa, and then he checked in at the Kotel. And there was not one, one Jew, observant or not, who tried to stop him. But Jews weren't even allowed to come near the, 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 I don't even know what you say, we say Damascus Gate. Where's the freedom of religion and expression? Muslims here have the right to go anywhere. But Jewish people in Israel? Okay. New York City, you're identified. Let's not bring New York here. Let's not. Everyone here has freedom of worship. But again, the shock a baby, a 14-year-old baby. When we come back, I want to, first of all, write this down now because we only have a few minutes I get off. My name is Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'm going to be talking about a few things in the next section. And if you want the links, let me know. Guess what, boys and girls? I'll see you on the other side. 
And we are back. We are back. We are back. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. <laughs> a little frenetic. I feel the frenzy. I hate being jolted awake. I really do. I don't do well with that. I'm a very early riser and I stretch and it's all very, very nice. Um, okay. So we covered, I was, as I just, during the break, I remember it was a song from the late 60s, early 70s. And I really am. I'm an old hippie. And I just can remember, you know, I still to this day, when I need to relax, I listen to um, old Phil Oaks songs on the, um, you know, on the computer. And I remember the word, you have to be taught to love and hate. You have to be carefully taught. And sometimes the teachings that we do, and listen, we're all, we all play a role in how our children are raised. And if not our children, what we represent to nieces, nephews, our communities. And sometimes it's so mindless. You know, we just kind of spew stereotypic statements, stereotypical statements. I'm too tired to finish words. I'm dropping off end syllables and hoping that you can fill in the blanks. And, um, yeah, 14-year-old, a baby targeting his enemy. Shocking. Okay. Also, came across this week, very, very, I was fascinated and I sent it. At first, I thought this was all of, anybody listening in, anybody who's lived in the Western world for the last, you know, seven minutes or so, knows who Wolf Blitzer is. And Wolf Blitzer is, he's a correspondent for uh, CNN, and CNN, who <laughs> prides itself on being the most balanced reporting around, we here in Israel are not so sure. But I think it actually wasn't a Wolf, I think he just, uh, he posted, he posted or talked about a documentary um, exposing holiday snapshots of death camp Nazis. So what does this have to do with what I talked about before? You know, we were on holiday and everybody around me was on holiday. And it was very funny because we're very, very Western, meaning me, my stepdaughter, my husband. But other than that, it was a very Israeli crowd. A lot of civil servants before the end. A lot of school teachers were there. Um <laughs> Okay, this is for you, Michali. You see, there was no school strike. She she didn't want to uh, share beers with the school teachers unless they could confirm that there was no school strike today. But I digress. Anyway, a lot of plain people, what we call Amcha, really the salt of the earth people were around us. And we were on holiday and not a person around didn't believe that they didn't deserve the holiday came across a video, and I think it was through Wolf Blitzer, called Happy Nazis, the secret photographs that reveal how Nazi exterminators spent their free time. Any of you who grew up on the uh, east coast of America, you all know about the Borscht Belt, the Catskill Mountains, where our parents or grandparents would go for two weeks every summer, bungalow colonies. Well, this it was almost obscene this video a compilation of snapshots and interviews of resorts rest r&r spots for employees of the nazi regime singing songs around the campfire making s'mores 
And most of this took place, if I am not incorrect, I think a lot of the pictures were from 1944. Oh, Auschwitz, June 21, 1944. It was made public. And this is how they spent their free time. And you would have thought that they were just recovering from a year of like, you know, working on a, you know, bettering society, taking a break. It's a shock. So if you're interested in the link and you can't find it yourself, you're not so Google savvy, write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I want very much to send you this video because the most horrific part of it is how normal it all seems. You know, all one has to do is normalize the obscene, normalize the obscure. And we see this in all parts of our society. It was just something. And just to quote one person, one of the survivors, uh, Regina Spiegel, says, and it simply is as she says, they look almost like normal people. Um, you know, that they're seen smiling and laughing and the sing-along during the most horrific period of murder. It's astonishing. I want very much for you to see this video, and I'm happy to see you. Okay. Another note I wanted to share with you. I'm just like looking and seeing here. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to share with you today. I have a pet peeve. You know about it if you're listening to the show long enough. I do not buy new clothing. No, that's not to say. I don't want to say I don't want to say ever, never. I have this feeling that at least one should know in our world, and we're going to talk about this when we get to the Devar Torah section, um, I think that we need to know the sources of our comforts. I am trained, for example, we say in Yiddish, a Scheitelmacher. I have been trained as a wig designer, but I no longer, I'm saying it now, I no longer sell new human hair wigs. I will help a woman style what she has. I'll help make it wearable. I enjoy it. But I know too much about where the wigs come from, what women pay for new wigs. Beautiful, these Hollywood actresses and Orthodox Jewish women and women who are suffering from um, terrible kinds of illness and need to have their head covers. I know too much about the sources of the wigs and the torture that it brings to those who donate their hair. So I have vowed, I no longer sell human hair wigs. Just throwing that out. There is something in this world, and we anybody who hasn't been buried under a rock for 100 years knows, it's called fast fashion. We know fast fashion. Last week during the break, I took children to the museum, grandchildren, a bevy of grandchildren on two different days. To the, they had never been to a museum. They had never been to a museum. I'm not proud to say this. But they can tell you what's on sale at every mall. There are children, I certainly I can speak about Israel, who do not take private music lessons, who do not know how to sound out a treble clef from a bass, do not know where a middle C is on a piano or how to play a C or an E chord on a guitar. Do not know who Johann Sebastian Bach was. But they know what's on sale, what knockoffs look just like the real thing. 
and there is an obscenity flooding our shops today, and it's called fast fashion. I see, I drive past the stores, and I have to tell you, I am not immune. I see the racks. I can always use a fresh shirt. How many of us open our closets, and instead of saying, oh, no, I have nothing to wear, we look in our closets and we say, I need, I need. We never say, I have too much, or even simply, I have enough. Well, apparently there is a movement. I don't know enough about it. I'm only starting to pursue it and look at it now. But you don't listen to the show to learn things. You listen to this show to kind of learn with me. And it is about uh, people rebelling, rejecting, putting their hands up and saying enough understanding where the clothing is sourced from, who is being tortured, who is dying in mills and in mines, what children, youngsters, the same ages as our children and grandchildren who are buying clothing that they will never wear, buying clothing that they will wear once, buying clothing that are being made in factories that are polluting the waters, the fields, the mines, the forests without understanding the source, they know they have something new. You know, they're shopping for clothing on their social media feeds. I know, I get so many ads because once I looked for a brassiere, okay, during COVID that could be shipped to me, I am still drowning in ads. The clothes, they change them. The clothes are so cheap. They're so disposable. They're tossed in the garbage. After a few days, they end up in landfills, breaking down. You know, there was a survey recently, I think it was 2000 Brits found that a majority of them were buying double the number of clothing items that they were a decade ago. We are a people that are working primarily from home. One in 10 correspondents on this show dump their clothes after wearing them just three times in photos on Facebook or Instagram. And the most shocking, one in five respondents of these of these surveys admitted to stuffing unwanted couture clothing in the trash rather than donating it or recycling it. You know, we're standing at the cusp of a new year, a new year of judgment. For us to throw up our arms and say, what can we do to make the world better? I'm impotent against governments, against philosophies, against dynasties, against big industry. Oh, no, we are not. It starts with you. It starts with me. Instead of being frightened of being the laughing stock of our family or community, let's celebrate our morality. Let's wear it. Let's say, I have enough. My name is Andrea Simintov. Devar Torah on the other side.
you. We are back. Thank you for hanging around. Okay, this is this is my favorite part. Okay. Yeah, I really am a hippie at heart. I do. You know what? There's something so glorious about I think that, you know, when you have children who have expectations and they become very, very competitive, and then you live in a community, um, you know, I, I tried to do that middle class thing. Didn't do it so well. And with every passing year, I embrace my eccentricities. It's so relaxing. It's so liberating. Um, okay. So today's Parsha, very funny. So I was researching the Parsha. Today's Parsha is called Shoftim or Judges. I like the Hebrew so, so much better. Shoftim. And um, I thought, well, what the heck does that have to do with, you know, this time of year? Now we're talking about courts. Exactly. Judges, judgment, how quick we are to judge one another, how hard we are on ourselves, or are we hard enough? I don't know. So let me just quickly wrap up and just say, if anything I speak about today kind of piques your interest, you want a link to an article or that video Write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to send you the link. And also, if you'd like to be on a monthly mailing list, I write a monthly, sometimes humorous, occasionally <laughs> inspirational article that I both publish in several public. I publish in several publications. And for those of you uh, who don't receive those publications, I'm happy to send it out. Put you on my mailing list. Okay. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, this is kind of picking up on my um, my idea of just disposable, disposable society, disposable dishes, disposable relationships, disposable values. You know, what do you believe in this way? Stick your finger in the air, lick it, stick it in the air, whichever way the wind is blowing. Um, so Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, in his famous book, 13 Midot, I guess midot or traits. I don't know which chapter this is. Maybe this is chapter 13. I'm not sure. But it's called kimutz. Kimutz. And kimutz means thrift. And this is a direct quote from Rabbi Salanter. Many people, um, though they have enough of everything or may even be rich, they're jealous of others. Such persons are unfortunate and will never be happy. It's always wise to follow Benzoma's teaching. Who is rich? He who rejoices in his portion. That comes from Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers. Rabbi Salanter continues, Spend no money except to do good for yourself and others. Do not waste anything that has value. The tzaddik, the righteous one, watches his money carefully because it is dear to him and kosher. Kosher money. What is that? Kosher money is money that was earned honestly. The thrifty person is economically minded. But don't be fooled. He is not a miser. Money is to be used. However, it is not to be loved. Money is a means to an end. Do not love it for its own sake. There's a lot that can be said about that. 
a lot that can be said certainly through Jewish history and how Jews have been portrayed um, historically and not in a flattering fashion. But all Jewish attitudes come from, they are all based in our only blueprint, the blueprint that is called Torah. I remember, I'm going off script now, forgive me, I'm sure you will. Um, I remember, you know, people used to say how clever those Jews were, how clever they are with money. But, you know, I learned the meaning of cottage industry. I didn't know what it meant. And cottage industry, certainly during this time of COVID, we should all know what it is. It's money that one makes outside of their own cottage, out of their home. They don't go out into the factories, into the workplace, into the banks, into the uh, hospital. They work from home. And Jews, historically, haven't been forbidden from certain workplaces having been forbidden from land ownership. They didn't sit home, assimilate, drown themselves in drink. No. They put their Yiddish cups together, their Jewish heads together, and they learned to make jewelry at the kitchen table. They learned to become Schneidels, tailors, in the living room. They even became bankers with underground when they couldn't borrow money from banks. They were able to create empires of finance in one room apartments on the Lower East Side. Everything comes from a holy Jewish source. So before we point fingers and denigrate and slur and mutter stereotypes, understand that Jews do have that uncanny knack of surviving and making lemonade out of lemonade out of lemons. Um, another very interesting, not a couple of from the Torah to your table uh, points I'd like to make today. When Rabbi Shimon, who is the son of the Chassam Sofer, he was a youth, Rabbi Shimon. He told his father that he had a very upsetting incident. An apikoris, which means a heretic, uh, asked him a question, and he couldn't answer the question. So he asked his father, what should I have said to him, Abba? What should I have answered him? So after a few days, the chassim sofer showed his son that the question was very, very easily answered. It was Really, it was a matter of seconds. Here was the answer. So later, the chasm sulfur was said, well, that was kind of, uh, I don't know if they used the word abusive, but wasn't that kind of harsh? Why don't you tell your son the answer right away? And his answer was, I wanted to teach him that in questions of faith, one shouldn't worry if he doesn't have an immediate answer. If not today, the answer will come tomorrow. Most important, never lose faith. And another from the Torah to your table. I'm setting you up for Shabbos because I'm not sure when the Devar Torah is going to end. So I want to make sure that you're set and I'm set. I've already cut this out and it's near my challah board, my, my 
for my challah bread for Shabbos. It's waiting for me. Okay. The Techelet Mordechai comments, and you have to look this up. I hope Todd in California is listening to this. I'll spell it out for you, Todd. Um, the Techelet Mordechai comments, any marked change in a person's life is an emotional experience. And when a king first assumes the throne, he does so with a feeling of humility and acknowledgement of God's role in his election. Uh, just, I'm stepping away from this. I mean, I'm saying this, I'm talking to you as we're coming up on big election seasons. There's nobody that's running, no serious candidate that is running for office or some kind of leadership position that is not trying to at least put a humble foot forward to be a man or woman of the people. But the Tehillat Mordechai goes on. As time goes on, he says, he becomes used to his new position and he begins to lord over his people, even ignoring God. So our job this Shabbos is to discuss the Torah, the Torah principle and um, as indicated in the present tense of the words when he sits, not when he sat, when he will sit. A person in a position of authority should approach each and every day with humility and reverence as if this day he had just assumed the responsibility of that position. Wow. I guess there's a lot of things we could talk about that. New boss, new head of a hospital, new company division. We're imbued with leadership. What do we do with it? Okay. Digging in now. Shoftim. This is the law and order Parsha of the Torah. And um, implicit in studying it is realizing that delicate balance between an ordered society with some restrictions or personal freedom, you know, and, and expression, laws about it. And on the other hand, a society of complete personal freedom, which involves anarchy, involves lack of order, chaos. Yeah, chaos is the word. The judges and the police that the Torah commands and authorizes us to um, respect are to be the arbiters and decide the rules of society and the acceptable behavior of its citizens. But the Torah presses that they are enforcers of the law. They are not the makers of the law. And it's the citizenry itself that sets the limits and the mores of the society. A child who spits in the face of those those appointed to protect us is a child who's learning to disrespect society and those laws. You know, we've recently seen that a thousand police, and we're not talking yet about police corruption and ugliness. We could go through every piece of industry in modern society and point out the rotten, stinking apples. But let's kind of 
moral it up a tad. We've recently seen thousands of police can't by themselves stop the looting, the rioting, and other forms of social mayhem. Anybody who goes on social media for a moment is stunned to see looters emptying out Dwayne Reed and Target's and whatever other stores there are in America, while the staff stands back, hands tied to do anything to protect property, and just throwing up their arms and saying, the insurance companies will just have to take care of it. There has to be. There has to be an agreed-upon social social set of rules within society to make for order. Traffic flows. They're just opening up a new tunnel. I think they opened it up last night. I can't imagine how it's going to work. I saw roads going in and roads going out and craziness and lights. But it's going to be brilliant. Traffic flows because there is an unwritten but nevertheless binding agreement among drivers to observe signals, to observe stoplights. Police can, they can deter lawbreakers, but they can't guarantee a lawful society. Societies, all of them, have to be based, you know, based upon these rules of common decency. Witnesses and what is happening in the countries that surround us understand that police states cannot. I know who's listening into this show this morning, and you know who you are. There are those of us today, this morning, who are living in police states, and you know what they can never do? Control your beliefs, your ideas, your longings. These eventually will rise to the fore. Unfortunately, it will rarely be without violence. There will rarely be emancipation of human freedom without, without revolt. Police are only valid as the enforcers of the public will. When they overstep that boundary, we know they can become a terribly, terribly negative force. What does the Torah say about this? The Torah bids judges and courts to rule fairly, justly, righteously, There's no judge in the world that enters the courtroom without personal prejudices and preconceived beliefs. And yet, the Torah still demands that this judge, burdened by this weight, weigh the matter before him fairly and decently. The pursuit of true justice, tzedek, never ends. The rabbis of the Talmud, this is according to Rabbi Wine, They advise us to choose a court that has an established reputation for being fair, just, and wise. What does this mean? The Talmud lists for us courts and judges that met this description in the early centuries of the common era. Being a judge is, well, it says, Rabbi Wine says always, and I add, it should be always a lonely, difficult position. No one is going to be completely satisfied with the judge's decision. There are always going to be perceived, whether imagined or real, slights, 
and unavoidable imperfection to cloud our general view of the necessity for the pursuit of justice to continue. The Torah's insistence on the rule of justice and right in society, it doesn't end. Please keep this in mind. It is why we read the Torah again and again, year after year. We don't read it and say, yeah, I know the book. I read it back in 2001. It repeats itself. The lessons are timeless and the lessons take nuance and shape. Both judges and police, when set upon the Torah path of pursuing justice in a moral society, they fulfill a vital role in that society and that government. You know, one of the most curious aspects of the Parsha's opening sentence deals with the passage, Tzedek, 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 Lema'an I'm a Hebrew so bad, my reading Hebrew. V'yarashta et ha'aretz. Justice, justice shall thou follow, that thou may live and inherit the land. What, 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 what is the meaning of repeating the word, tzedek, tzedek? The Torah doesn't use extra language, not an extra nikuda, a vowel doesn't exist. Why twice? Wouldn't it have been enough to say justice shall thou follow? There have been a lot of commentators trying to explain, not trying, but attempting to explain the reason for this duplication. Um, in Parashat, in the Torah portion of Kedoshim, it is written, B'tzedek tishpot amitacha, in righteousness shall you judge. However, here it is written, Righteousness, righteousness, implying a greater degree and measure of righteousness shall you pursue, especially in cases where deception is suspected and extra probing is necessary. Now, there's another possible explanation um, for the repetition, and that's underscored in the need to seek out the finest Beit Din, the finest judicial court, and for that court to seek out defenses for the accused in capital cases. In appointing judges, the substance and quality of the person, his sense of fairness and temperament are far more important than his appearance. I must interject in my text. It's very funny. Um, I recently started to, um, I started an additional job where I do transcribing for a court of law in uh, New York City, okay? I hear the tapes, I transcribe them, and they're resubmitted. Very, it's a very interesting job. And I hear maybe there's about 20 judges, 20 um, defense attorneys, and 20 in the field of this particular law, 20 um, defense attorneys and prosecutors that I recognize already. And I must tell you, I have made it a, con a conscious decision not to Google them and look at their faces. Because once I see their faces, I see I'm also susceptible to making judgments. Oh, he's old. Oh, he's young. Oh, she's chubby. Oh, she's thin. Um, she looks happy with her life. She, he looks so miserable. I don't want to know it. I have made them my friends through their voices. And I was very much reminded with this idea about... Um, we can't know what their appearance, you know, their 
Their appearance is less important than their ability to be impartial. So the Torah tells us that when appointing judges, the selection should be those who are the most likely to judge with righteousness, even though they may not possess other characteristics that befit a judge. Rashi um, explains that the appointment of qualified judges is of significant importance to sustain Israel and settle the people in their land. Okay. I love this. Um, Rabbi Bachya, in his Sefer, Kad Kemach, he explains that the repetition of the word tzedek, 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 intimates how the same standard of justice and righteousness must be applied to Jews as well as non-Jews. The Torah does not distinguish between the two with regard to either mishpat, that's sentencing, or tzedek, the righteousness. A crime committed against a non-Jew is equally criminal as one committed against a Jew. Several incidents in the Torah um, seem to prove this out. You know, in the beginning of Shemot, the Torah relates three episodes in Moshe's life before he was designated as a deliverer of the Jews from Mitzrayim. In the first, Moshe came across an Egyptian striking a Hebrew slave. His desire for righteousness and justice caused him to defend the slave, we all know the story, against the Egyptian. Again, Moshe went out and he saw one Jew striking another. This is the next scene. Moshe rushed to the aid of the victim, an action which forced him to flee Egypt when the th where the third incident occurred. What was that? Moshe witnessed another act of injustice as local shepherds drove away the flock of the daughters of Yitro so they would be able to water their flocks first. Again, Moshe interceded on behalf of the victims. Each incident teaches us a, a very profound lesson in the application of tzedek. In the first, involving a non-Jew and a Jew, Moshe taught us that a Jew must be on guard not to allow injustice in matters between a Jew and a Gentile. The second episode teaches us that a Jew must be careful that justice is shown between Jews. While the final incident by the well at Midian teaches us that we should try to enact justice between non-Jews whenever possible. The lesson which this, this Parsha imparts is one which should guide us through life. Tzedek, tzedek, justice and righteousness shall thou follow. Not only was, must, be, must the concept of tzedek be applied uniformly to all human beings and be absolutely impartial, but the relationship between man and his neighbor must be of respect and dignity. Guided, guided by the principles of Torah. In this matter, I pray, we should all pray, that we're privileged to witness the coming of the Moshiach and be worthy of the final redemption. In closing, as I said, um, oh, what I wanted to share with you in closing 
there was a wonderful story. And of course, I'm looking at all my notes. And of course, I can't find the story. But this is how, how vigilant we must be. There was a wonderful story about a judge on his way to court. And as he was walking to court, oh, in court, he recused himself. He said, I cannot hear this case. And they were shocked. He was known to be the most impartial judge there was. How could he not hear the case between these two litigants? Well, it seems that on his way to court, he was crossing a narrow bridge. And one of the litigants saw the judge coming and moved aside to let him go first. And when he got to the stand, he said, I am no longer, I cannot trust my impartiality because of only that small incident. My friends, we are in Elul. We are waiting to be judged. Let's judge others the way we ourselves hope to be considered. Shabbat Shalom Umevorach from Jerusalem. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 